The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. And the crowdfunding market has been on a tear. We've seen activity surge globally. If you look at the numbers uh, from Statistica from 2021, they're saying the overall market size is now around 12.3 billion US dollars. Now, we're joined by someone now who knows a lot about this industry. Matt Vitale, the co-founder of Birchall, which is a crowdfunding platform of sorts, is joining us now. Matt, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Oriel. Now, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're actually a lawyer by trade, and then you started businesses and sort of turned your legal career into an entrepreneurial one. Yeah, that, that's right. Yes, I worked in private practice at uh, Hall & Wilcox initially, and then um, Ashurst, uh, mainly in corporate and financial services regulatory areas. Yeah, I, I suppose I became a lawyer because I was really interested in business and felt that I was somewhat deficient in my very early uh, entrepreneurial endeavours. So um, decided to do a law degree and um, then kind of, you know, uh, got involved in law firms and, and had some great experiences. But I think uh, the call of, you know, being an entrepreneur and building something was uh, was too strong. And uh, yes, I kind of got, got out of uh, uh, private practice and, you know, started a few businesses, but I was really taken by what was happening in the equity crowdfunding space in the UK. And uh, was observing how Australia was making plans to do something similar, so decided to get involved. Well, talk to us about Birchall and and what exactly Birchall does. Yes, yeah, so Birchall is a crowdsourced funding platform. That's what we call it in Australia. Um, it's essentially a platform to help companies make an offer of securities, a regulated offer of securities available to retail investors. Um, this is something that's quite common overseas. The UK has probably got the most uh, mature and developed equity crowdfunding industry. Its uh, platforms have been around since 2011 over there. Australia is, you know, late to the party, you could say. Um, 2018 was when the legislation was passed. But there were some fundamental changes to corporate law that were required uh, in order for us to do what we do. Um, two game changers, really. The first is that proprietary limited companies now can have a potentially unlimited number of investors, whereas previously you'd have to convert to a public structure once you got over 50. Um, anyone that acquires shares through a crowdsource funding offer is excluded for the purpose of that test. So we've got some proprietary limited companies that have literally thousands of investors. And the second game changer is these offers can be advertised online, on any medium, really, uh, provided that a short risk warning is included, which makes sense because, um, you know, digital advertising and and, uh, exposure to lots of people is uh, fundamental to crowdfunding. Um, And I would argue that, uh, you know, crowdfunding offers have a far more liberal advertising environment to um, operate in than, you know, even some listed stocks. So um, in that environment, businesses that have a strong consumer proposition do really, really well. And they're the ones that we've found have had the most success uh, with the Australian crowdfunding industry. 
you, you've talked about a couple of changes in the industry which has made it much more appealing and attractive and actually easier to do business. What is happening with the re regulation side of things? You know, offering securities is, of course, a heavily regulated activity in, in certain places around the world, but certainly here in Australia. Are regulations becoming more onerous when it comes to the crowdfunding uh, side of the coin? Yeah, look, I would say that um, we're, we are in the midst of a wave of deregulation uh, for companies that are wanting to access investors directly. Um, you know, we know a lot about direct to consumer as a trend. Um, you know, perhaps it's direct to investor to describe what we're experiencing, but um, you know, companies being able to uh, connect with a broad audience of investors is something that regulators around the world seem to want to support. Um, but it does require, uh, you know, some oversight. Uh, and the government in Australia decided to put, um, you know, or to create the role of a crowdsource funding intermediary. And, and that's the license that Birchall holds. So we're a, a license, we've got an Australian financial services license, we're authorised to provide a crowdfunding service. But it is a quasi-regulatory role. So ASIC doesn't review these documents before publication like they would do for a prospectus. That's really Birchall's role in uh, hosting an offer and, and making sure that it's ready for publication. And we have to do checks on the company, making sure that they're eligible to make the offer, that the offer is eligible, and helping companies or guiding companies in preparing their offer document, uh, a crowdsource funding offer document, which is a cut down version of a prospectus, um, but you know, similar retail type dis disclosure, uh, but a very achievable document for companies at an early stage to prepare. What makes crowdfunding work in your view? I mean, this push, this crowdfunding movement, if you like, has just been gathering steam in the last few years. Well, what makes it work? There, I think there are a variety of factors that we're experiencing at the moment. Um, I think, you know, among retail investors or the growing importance of retail investors, if I think even in my career, you know, um, the the importance of retail investors and their effect on markets um, is, you know, has been really quite profound in, in recent times and certainly over the last couple of years of the pandemic. Also, you know, cryptocurrency and, and the increasing appetite for what are traditionally regarded as very risky asset classes um, I would argue that this is a result of, uh, you know, people taking a more active interest in uh, building their wealth, which is a good thing. So in that environment, it's great that startups and SMEs, you know, venture style investments are available now to retail investors to, you know, form part of their, um, you know, wealth strategy, uh, because traditionally this has been the domain um, of wholesale and sophisticated investors only. And, you know, you, you can see a lot of money has been made through venture investments over the last 20, 20 years. Um, but it's really only been, you know, people with money that have been able to make more money. It's great that uh, now this is available to everyone. Mm. What, what is your biggest camp campaign so far? I mean, obviously campaigns raise in size, um, I'd assume, from, from a few thousand upwards. What's your biggest campaign so far? Yeah, so uh, the, the biggest campaign that we've hosted was a company called ZeroCo. Um, they raised $5 million in about six and a half hours. So it was a very uh, active, well-supported campaign. Um, so ZeroCo is 
on a mission to untrash the planet is how they describe it. And basically, they've got a system uh, of refillable um, cleaning products, uh, basically trying to eliminate single-use plastic in the home. And uh, they've got a lot of really fierce supporters, customers, and they felt it was really important to open up uh, an opportunity for their uh, their customers to invest in their business as shareholders. And it, as I said, you know, it was really well supported and and funded in um, in six and a half hours. The first company to hit uh, five million, which is the maximum that can be raised by a company within a twelve month period under crowdfunding. But the other interesting thing about that offer was uh, SquarePeg, um, one of the largest VCs in the country, also invested in that round. They invested $6 million um, on substantially the same terms as retail investors. And it's a great development because, um, you know, it's one of the misconceptions about crowdfunding was that it would only be, you know, smaller mum and dad type investors um, backing these opportunities. But... uh, Overseas, particularly in the UK, professional investors regularly uh, invest uh, through crowdfunding platforms and and source early stage deals through them. And we're starting to observe this uh, development in Australia now too. Mm. So, so with a company like Zero Code, just using that my thousand dollar investment that I put, you know, at the time of the offer, I can't actually divest from that until there is some kind of exit. Yes, that that's right, essentially, and kind of punctuates the need, you know, for other other services to be built out uh, to enable not only investors but sometimes founders to sell down some stock and uh, reduce these binary win lose outcomes that uh, founders of startups um, have to endure, I suppose. Mm. So when you when you're talking to companies that come to you and say, look, we're looking at a fundraise, uh, these are some of these are listed companies that that use crowdfunding as well. And why would they choose a crowdfunding raise as opposed to the traditional ways of raising money? Yeah, so um, listed companies can't use the crowdsource funding regime. Uh, So it's limited to uh, companies that have less than 25 million in assets or revenue um, and they, they must be unlisted. So they can be public unlisted or proprietary limited, but they can't be listed already on a market. Um, why would companies come to us? Because the um, it, it you know crowdfunding should not be viewed as mutually exclusive to other types of investment. As I've you know described in in the zero co example, um, you know it, it is a vehicle for aggregating multiple types of investors into a round and a very efficient vehicle at that. Um, it's not, I suppose, to the exclusion of other types of investments. It's just a really efficient way to organise multiple kinds of investors. Um, but besides the capital, it's the ability for a company to tell their story and uh, invite their most passionate, fiercest supporters um, into their business. And, you know, again, Zerico is a great example. Most of the people that invested in their offer are their customers um, when you think about what they're trying to achieve in people's homes, you know, it, it is a, a, um, a massive change to kind of commit to, you know, um, using their system of, of cleaning products to minimise single-use plastic. And the people that buy into that become quite evangelical and want to support that company. And, and, and that's, you know, something that a lot of other companies have, um, have found useful as well is the opportunity to 
uh, describe their mission, why they're existing, and, and find people that are aligned with them um, and would like to invest in their business. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at these kind of opportunities for the average retail investor, I mean, this is amazing access that it gives for the man on the street to invest in either startups or developed companies that need to raise money that they wouldn't ordinarily have. But as a, as a retail investor, how do you make sure that you are investing in the right companies? I mean, I know that you yourself has ha- have had experience with, um, with companies that haven't done so well. I mean, Gig Super was the potential um, company that you were working with, um, which wasn't a great experience for virtual. What, what actually happened there and how can investors make sure that they avoid that? I mean, with regard to Gig Super, the you know we ran an expression of interest process um, for them, and like ultimately they didn't proceed with the offer. I think what's happened recently, which you know we've kind of read about in the press, was something that was un- unrelated to uh, to their business, and and I, I think issues with their trustee and some other kind of broader issues in the in the superannuation industry. But it's a good example to highlight that these, you know, early stage companies are are a risky asset class and people need to bear that in mind when they're um, thinking about investing in these opportunities. Um, There are some, you know, pretty severe risk warnings that need to be included for um, any offer made under the crowdsource funding regime um, and in the offer document as well. Uh, So, you know, people need to be aware of these and and certainly acknowledge that they've read and understand them before uh, they invest. But high risk uh, presents the potential for high return and talking about, um, you know, exits or or investors that have uh, realised returns through crowdfunding, it's still pretty early days uh, for what we do um, in Australia. But uh, the first company that... um, uh, was crowdfunded. Uh, the first company to list on the ASX after crowdfunding actually happened last year in November. A company called Activated Nutrients, um, ASX code BIO. Um, they uh, they raised at around a six million dollar pre money valuation back in 2019, um, and then listed on ASX in an oversubscribed eight million dollar IPO at a forty million dollar uh, valuation. So. Um, the returns are there. It won't happen in every case. I think it's fair to say, and and investors need to you know take a diversified approach when they're looking at these opportunities and and making sure that they're kind of scrutinising the offer documents which um, companies need to prepare. Well, when you're an investor and you're you're interested in investing in this type of thing, where is it that they are going to find this information about what companies are coming up, what potential offerings are going to be on the calendar? Yes, by logging on to virtual.com and um, and becoming a member and subscribing, we send out a weekly newsletter of upcoming expression of interest campaigns. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, and we run a pre-offer EOI campaign with some high-level information and usually a campaign video for the company to identify interested investors. Um, and then the offer follows that. And when the offer is open, uh, there is that regulated disclosure document that I mentioned um, and that's really what investors should be uh, should be looking at. Mm. Now, what's the average investor size? The average investment is uh, a little over fifteen hundred dollars, um, but the average is, you know, I, I suppose somewhat revealing because um, there there are, you know, uh, 
um, wholesale investors that regularly participate in these offers as well. So retail investors are limited to $10,000 per company per year, um, but wholesale investors can invest above uh, that, that, that maximum um, and uh, they regularly do, um, you know, as I've mentioned. Mm. What sort of industries are coming to you at the moment? I mean, where's the activity? Ours is a really broad church, which is really nice. Um, there's, you know, businesses across many, many industries. Food and beverage was a great category for us last year. Um, uh, craft beer was was really popular. And, you know, craft beer and equity crowdfunding has been, um, you know, a, a good match. Uh, uh, Brewdog, um, which is a, you know, famous brewer in the UK, was one of the first to kind of look at this model. Um and, and use it with some success. Um, but uh, others, you know, in sustainability, uh, medicinal cannabis has been very popular as well. Um, but it, it's, across, it's across the board, uh, which, you know, which is great. Mm, okay. Uh, just a quick question before you go, Matt. Um, let's talk about virtual. What about your own capital management? There's a listing on the cards. Yes. Yeah, so we're... Um, we just tipped over $100 million raised on the platform uh, recently, and uh, we've decided to uh, raise some capital uh, ourselves and are using our own platform to do it, which we're really uh, excited and terrified by at the same time. I can, I can imagine. So your, your crowdfunding, will there be an ASX listing for virtual? Uh, potentially. Um, look, we're profitable. We're uh, generated about uh, 2.2 mil uh, revenue for the first half of FY22. So um, as I mentioned, the industry is growing about 70% compounded over the last four years. And there's a huge opportunity ahead of us. The biggest opportunity we feel, though, is to build out this ecosystem of support, those products and services that I mentioned to, you know, take what is you know, an emerging asset class into the mainstream. And, you know, our long-term goal is to have startups and, and SMEs in, you know, the, the consciousness of investors when they're thinking about how they're going to build wealth. And, um, you know, that that's a huge prize to be won. And, uh, you know, we're raising capital to accelerate our plans in this because we feel that the market uh, needs it and the market is demanding it of us. And uh, the response so far has been, tremendous um you know a lot of investors that are really supportive of what we do and have uh you know taken the opportunity to invest in businesses that they're passionate about um have been really supportive of us doing this ourselves um which is really nice and uh yeah we're excited to open the offer in a few weeks time fantastic um well that's a good heads up for all of our listeners today as well matt um we'll be watching that very very closely thank you so much for joining us here on stock insiders Thank you, Ariel. Now that is all we have time for. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. We'll be back next week with another edition of Stock Insiders with me, Ariel Morrison. Catch you then. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.